and then I'm going to have you turn your attention. Tell you what, we're going to do it this way. Turn your attention to the monitor. Turn your... Try Jesus. Don't try me. Uh, that video went viral. And uh, as I listen to your response, it's obvious to me that some of you heard this video. Uh, a video goes viral when five million or more people view the initial video within a seven-day period. That video went viral. Unfortunately, we live in a generation that is committed to a philosophy of I'm doing me. And this generation that embraces that way of thinking actually has no problem with don't try me, try Jesus. When it comes to how we live and how we think. It has become cool and acceptable for Christians to say, how are you doing today? We say, I'm just doing me. I'm just doing me. When people say that they're doing me, here's what that means. It means I'm doing whatever is best and right for me. I march to my own drum beat. I focus on what I must do to get things done for me. Don't worry about what other people think or how what I do affects them because I'm doing me. Doing you allows you to make the rules 
and to disregard anybody who disagrees. The most important thing to the do you generation is personal fulfillment and avoiding anyone or anything that makes you unhappy. If it don't make me happy, I ain't staying in this marriage. It don't make me happy, I ain't paying. I, I love the car, but I, I don't feel paying this bill. It don't feel right. They'll come and get it, but you can stop paying it by doing you, but they'll come and get it. It's time for Christ followers. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who follows Jesus. To start doing him and stop doing us. What I want to look at today, and the reason that I even have to preach a sermon like this, I talked to another pastor on the phone yesterday, and he was just so discouraged. He said, when I preach sound doctrine and I start talking about repentance and sin, he said, the people don't come back the next week, or they look at me like they're about to kill me. He said, I don't even, I don't even go there anymore. I said, he says, I, I just preach feel-good sermons. I considered that. I said, man, I love seeing people shout and raise their hands and enjoy Jesus. And sometimes I even start that way with a passage that the Lord has placed on my heart. But by the time you start unpacking that thing, that's not where the passage, the scripture, the context leads you. You've got to do no more than what God's word tells you to do. Say no more than God has said. And that's exegesis. And God is not in the business of helping us do us. Somebody say amen. amen. So today I want to talk about three reasons why we need to start doing Jesus and stop doing us. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, curious, master, ruler, sovereign, the control of your life, but you do not do the things that I said. This is not part of something. He said, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, have I not cast out demons? I prophesied in your name. I've written books. And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me. Here it is. You workers of iniquity, I do not know you. You shall know them by their fruits, by their fruits. Now, the first question that I want to address with you is, why is doing you dangerous? Now, the key passage that I'm going to be devoting most of our time to today is taken out of John, 1 John chapter 2. Somebody say 1 John chapter 2. Now, I want you to repeat these words with me because when you leave, you won't be able to say you didn't hear because you're going to give me these words right back. Do not love the world. Repeat that. Or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, 
But he who does the will of God abides forever. Why is doing you dangerous? Now, there are four things in the first verse that we need to understand about why doing us is dangerous. And then I'm going to talk about what should motivate us to do Jesus instead of us. And then finally, we'll talk about how to do Jesus, how to do Jesus rather than us. And the first reason why it's dangerous is because the scripture tells us, says, do not love the world. The command is not an option. It's not a multiple choice. It's not a conference with God. Let's talk about this. Let's see if we can come to an understanding. No, 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 no. A command is an absolute. It is black and white. It is non-negotiable. Somebody say amen. amen. Your heart stops beating and it doesn't bleed beating more. You are dead. That's non-negotiable. You can say, oh, he's alive. As I've had people say, somebody standing over somebody who has died. And they stand over a person, they just gone. The nurse comes in and, 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 and does the, uh, the, the, the con- concludes with the, the stethoscope. But whether you want them to be alive or not doesn't make them alive. It's non-negotiable. If they're dead, they're dead. They're alive, they're alive. We got that, right? Now, the first thing, so it's the command. He says, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Now, when the Lord says, love, do not love the world, we need to understand that in the Greek language, they use one word in our English that we translate in our English Bible, world. It had three shades of meaning or use, usage. So when you see when you say, God said, love not the world, we need to understand what he's not saying. So the Greek word is cosmos or cosmos. And sometimes the word cosmos or world that is translated in our English Bible refers to the physical earth or the universe. God is not saying to hate the earth, to hate the universe. In fact, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. God is not saying, hate what I created. In fact, in the first five days of creation, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void. He filled the earth. He created the universe, the stars and the moon and the mountains and the seas and the ocean. And after each of his creation, God looked at what he had done and he watched to see if it worked according to his design. And then he walked or he, 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 he paused and he said, it is good. It is good. And so he says, don't. When God says, do not love the world, he's not talking about the physical universe. He gave Adam and Eve the responsibility of cultivating and taking care of the earth that we are ruining. Ask your lungs about it. For those of us who have trouble believing that climate change is real. Nor is he saying when cosmos is also used to refer to the people, the ethnos, that live in the world, that live on the planet. We see this in John chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord says, God so loved the cosmos, the ethna, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, only mogo ganesi, only unique, the only one of his kind. God gave Jesus to the world, to the people of the world, 
so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. While we were yet in our sins, the Bible says, God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus. The Lord loves the people of the world. He just hates our sin. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. He hates our sin. And so he says, do not love the world. He's not talking about the physical universe. He's not talking about the people of the world. But when he talks, uses the word cosmos, in this context, he's talking about a world system under the authority of Satan that operates under, the, the Bible refers to Satan as the God of this world system who has organized demonic forces who, are, who solely exist to block the plan and the purposes of God. And so he says, do not love this world system, anything that blocks the purposes and plan of God. God says, hate it. Paul puts it this way. He said, be not conformed to this cosmos, to this world system that is under the authority of Satan that opposes the plan and the purposes of God for your life, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Scripture says we are in the world, but not of the world. We need to understand that when the Lord is saying don't love the world, he's not saying people are the planet that he created, he is saying that we should hate this world system. The Lord is not, he's saying to us, leave worldliness without leaving the world. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and light with darkness? Come out from among them. Leave worldliness while living in the world for Christ. We need to understand the command. We also need to understand the contradiction. No, 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 before I jump in, let me tell you what worldliness is. What is it's hard to tell today. And, and I want to be really clear on how we understand what worldliness is. Whenever you think and promote the system of Satan that blocks the plan and purposes of God, you are being worldly. Are you involved in your thought life and in your actions with things, with an agenda that does not promote the kingdom of God, but promotes the kingdom of you? When you are under the control of the enemy, you will be blocking and thwarting the program and purposes of God. Somebody say amen. Worldliness refers to attitudes and actions that leave God out. Whenever you exclude God in your plans, in your thoughts, in your action, you are being worldly. When you leave God out, you are being worldly. And I also don't want to delve any further than that. The question that we need to be asking ourselves is, have I included God? in my thoughts and places. The Bible says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, 
and he will do what? He will direct your path, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. When I am leaning on God, I will include him in my decisions. I will consult him in my actions. When I don't include God in my decisions and actions, I am promoting as a Christian. By the way, 1 John is written to Christians. And the apostle, the pastor saying, don't love this world system. Now, let me help you. A car isn't worldly when you use it to drive to work. It ain't worldly when you are taking somebody to the emergency room who needs to be seen. But if you're driving that car to see your side piece, your chick on the side, if you're in a car and you're driving it to commit a crime, that same car that is neutral becomes worldly because the purpose for which you are using it for, it is not promoting the program and purposes of God. It is promoting that which it blocks program and purposes of God. Sometimes we can be worldly and not even know we're being worldly. Your buddy drives by and he's in his fly car and let's go for a ride. You jump in the car, you having a good time. Next thing you see, sirens, sirens behind you and your brother said, why aren't you pulling over? Oh, I don't want to pull over. I stole this car. I ain't trying to let them catch. You finally get pulled over. You didn't know the car was stolen, but guess who's going to jail? You are an accomplice to the crime, so both of you go to jail. Even then, you, you didn't know that the car was being used for an illegal purpose. You, the car that is neutral becomes worldly when it is used for the wrong reason. Somebody say amen. There's nothing wrong with buying that dress. You know, you're getting ready for that wedding. You got a couple extra pounds. You're going to work on that thing. You got a month, two months. You're going to get, you're going to fit that thing. I may be a 10 this month, but three months from now, I'm going to be a one. I'm going to get in that dress. There's nothing wrong with buying the dress to look nice. But if you're buying that dress to look nasty, to entice, then the question is, have you consulted God about that selection? Brothers, there's nothing wrong with using your computer to play your video games. Now, I can really deal with that one. Because we, 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 that's our girlfriend. We don't have no listen, female girls. We, 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 we love our video games. That can become worldly because you put that game above your marriage. But you got this computer, and, and I mean, it helps you to, to do your work. You don't have to leave your home. But as soon as nobody's watching you, you go from work information to pornographic information. So the computer that is neutral has now become worldly. I know you like Facebook and TikTok other social media platforms, but when you start using those platforms to bully others 
and to learn the latest dirt, that which is neutral and can be informational and entertaining, has moved from the realm of simply being something that you're doing to that which is programming your mind to have an attitude and actions that exclude God. I don't know how you think about guns. I do not own a gun. But there's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not own a gun. Guns are neutral. But when you take your gun and you shoot a 34-year-old mother of four through a closed door while her 10-year-old is standing next to her, that gun has moved from the realm or category of neutrality. Now it's a weapon of demonic use. We don't understand a lot of this. It's demonic. We trying, oh, we need to get some laws passed. No, we need to recognize we are in spiritual warfare. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spirits. This is demonic. That's why we need to get on our faces before God, because if my people who are, oh, my goodness. When you exclude God from your plans, and be honest, did you, did you consult God? If you didn't, then you have become the controller and ruler. And when you are on the throne, then in that, you have actually advocated yourself to being under the control of Satan. So the first reason it's dangerous to do you is the command is that you don't do you. Don't love the world. This world. So here's another reason why it's dangerous. The contradiction of doing you makes it dangerous. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a contradiction for you to love the world, to exclude God from your plans and your thoughts, while at the same time talking about how much you love Jesus. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Satan at the same time. The, 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 the verb serve is in the, what's called the present progressive tense, which means that it's a habitual, continuous habit of yours that you exclude God from your thoughts and your actions. When that is true, you are saying, my master is not God. My master is Satan. Because Satan works to, to please the desires of our flesh. It's a contradiction when you say, I'm doing me, but you're a Christian. To say that you love God, but your actions say you love the devil. Here's a third reason. The characteristics of doing you makes it dangerous. Here are the characteristics. There's a certain way. The Bible says there are the works of the flesh. And then there's the fruit of the spirit. There's a difference. Christians in the world should live differently. There's Kawhi up in here, but... This stuff is tearing, hit me too. It was hit me. I used to have an afro. It's gone now. The Holy Spirit then burned it all off. Amen. You believe that? I'll tell you another one. <laughs> the characteristics of the world 
of doing you makes it dangerous. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of God, but of this world system under the authority of Satan that seeks to block the plan and purposes of God. So when, let me, let me just look at each one of you. The lust of the flesh has to do with, it becomes lust when the natural desires that God gives us, the world offers legitimate desires, illegitimate ways to, be, to have them fulfilled. There's nothing wrong with eating when you're hungry. Now, when you have diabetes, you shouldn't be eating sugar, sugary things. I had me a muffin this morning. I prayed over it. <laughs> Amen. I confess now before everybody. I'm open. Trans, I'm being uh, uh, transparent. So there's nothing wrong with eating when you're hungry. That's a natural desire. But gluttony, you don't have to eat everything on the table. You don't have to have three plates the first time through. There's nothing wrong with sexual desires. Thank you, Jesus. Don't look at me like that. I may not be a teenager, but I ain't dead. Ain't that right, Sister Benson? <laughs> she didn't say anything. Anyway, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But fulfilling your sexual desires through illegitimate means is what the Bible says, the lust of the flesh. When you seek to fulfill your desires through perversion, through, through illicit relationships outside of marriage. Somebody say Amen. It ain't nothing wrong with being angry when somebody does you wrong. The Bible says, be angry, but what? Sin not. That means you don't have a right to give somebody a verbal beat down and laying hands on them because they drove in front of you. That's the lust of the flesh. He talks about the lust of the eye. That's your, your thought life, the things that you see and how it influences how you think. What are you taking into your mind? What do you watch? What do you listen to? Because the way you think will determine what you do and how you feel. And so if you're spending all your time on TikTok and Facebook, then that's what your theology will be based on. If you are spending all your time in front of the TV watching The View, or CNN, or some of these Fox, you will be a Foxer. You will be a CNNer. You will not be a follower of Jesus because that kind of indoctrination will inform your mind to be worldly. How much time are you spending on your knees in the Word of God? Blessed is a man who walketh not in the seat of the uh, walketh not in the ways of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the ungodly, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is what? Is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he what? Meditate both day and night, and he shall be like a tree that is planted by rivers of water, and whatever, 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 
You're not going to whatever only follows day and night meditating in the word. The lust of the eyes, your thought life, and how it influences your attitude and actions. You mad and upset and unhappy and miserable. What have you been listening to? And sometimes the worst thoughts that we can listen to is our own. Because our ways are not his ways. Nor are our thoughts or his thoughts. Let me run on. The pride of life is arrogance about your accomplishments and how much you have and who you know and where you've been and what people think about you. These are the characteristics of the world. When you seek these things, you are being worldly. It's not wrong with being successful. But if your intention is so that you can walk around like a peacock and look what I've accomplished and look who I'm is and look what people say when I walk in the room, when they see what I'm driving, that's the pride of life. That's dangerous because those are not the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, the horrible thing that's happening. We're raising children who don't know God. They come to church whenever they come. We're going to make sure they make their sports events. We're going to make sure they get the best grades. We're going to put them in the best schools. And we are raising unsaved children who grow up hating God. Because we prioritize this world system, that's, that's, the, that's the fourth thing. And so the third thing is that it's a, contradict, it's a contradiction, and then the characteristics don't line up with, with biblical characteristics. But here's the, the th fourth thing here. We're still going. The consequences of doing you makes it dangerous. He said the world is passing away, and the lust of, thereof. But those who do the will of God will abide forever. Everything that you are striving for, it's, it's temporary. Your focus is on that which is fading. We are eternal beings having a temporal experience. We are in the world of the dying, going to the land of the living. And so the consequences, when you build up your treasure for this earth, you get to take nothing with you. I was always amazed when David had 10 concubines and he had wives on the night he fell into adultery he was sleeping by himself how could a man with all those women be sleeping by himself and then his, and his son says my dad was a bad man when it came to the sisters I won't show the Guinness World Book of Records a record that they will never break Solomon had 600 wives and what 300 concubines why would a man, I can't handle the one I got, Lord Jesus, let alone, and then this is the, the Bible, here's why I think he messed up. He said, and he married, in the, the book of the Song of Solomon is about the Shunammite woman. He married a black woman. And once he married the Shunammite, he had to write a whole book on the sister, right? So, the, Here's the deal. Why would he need to go from one woman to the next woman? Because lust is never satisfied. The pleasures of this world you, it leaves you wanting more. And so when you find, I'm going to do this. I'm on, this is my bucket list. I, I, may never, I might not even live to talk about I'm going to do this one time. You do it one time, you, you, and you felt great the next time, you, 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 you need it again. You need it again. 
And every time you do it again, it doesn't give you the same feeling because it's limited in terms. The only one who can truly satisfy us is the Lord. Let, let me run on. So the first thing is the why, why, the why. We gave four reasons why. But what should be your motive for doing him rather than you? Debtors pay what they owe. Say debtors pay what they owe. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are what? Not your own. You were brought with a price the precious blood of Jesus, therefore honor God in your body. We owe a debt to God for giving us the Holy Spirit as a result of the price for our sins being paid at Calvary by Jesus. I owe the Lord for what he did. I'm not, I'm not trying to do good works to get the Lord. I already got him, but because I have him, I want to honor him in all that I do. Debtors pay their bill. Do you feel indebted to the Lord? Amen. When you think about what God has done through Jesus, I know I was messed up. I was on my way to a Christless eternity. The Lord saved me. He didn't have to do it, but he did. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. The Lord drew me. I'm indebted. That's my motivation for doing him. I'm a debtor. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. I dare somebody to go jump up in your car. You take those heels off. You be chasing that car, your heels off. You can't even run. You're not even thinking about it because they don't have a right to drive what's yours. But here we are, the temple of the Holy Spirit, telling God, you can't tell me where I can go. You can't tell me what I can do. I dare you to tell me how I can think. Debtors pay. Secondly, da damage good do damage to the good name of the Lord. The Bible says you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, it is good for nothing but to be trotted on the foot. Your testimony will affect others. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who do not believe. And the only Bible that some people will ever read is your life. We are written epistles being read of men. So if I'm the salt, I don't want my testimony to be ruined so that people that would have gone to heaven don't get in. Damage good to do damage to the good name of the Lord. Discipline from the Lord will come to those that do them rather than him. The Bible says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the discipline, for the Lord disciplines those who he loved and he chastens everyone that he accepts as a son. One of the things that will happen when you are saved, the Holy Spirit will whoop your tail. The scripture says the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict you. Sin ought not to feel, it shouldn't be so good to do wrong. Doing wrong shouldn't feel so right. That's what I'm trying to say. And so when the Lord, when you love your children, they do what they shouldn't do. You will chastise them. You will take that computer from them. Or you will pat them on their backside. Why? Not because you hate them, but because you love them. 
So if you come to church and you feeling like somebody's stepping on your toes or in your business and making it, well, I don't need to come to church to feel bad. I can stay home and feel bad. Maybe it's the discipline of the Lord, the conviction of the Lord that the Lord is using to try to awaken in you the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You ought to feel bad sometimes. When it's all about you, you don't want to feel bad. You got all these positive messages talking about how great you are, how wonderful you are, how awesome you are. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, I'm awesome. When somebody got to tell you they're awesome, that's a problem. I'm afraid. (laughs) Be very afraid. Let somebody say that about you. I know I'm wonderful. I know I'm spectacular. Okay. Okay. That sounds like pride to me. When you are loved by the Lord, he will chasten you. He will discipline you. He will not allow you to be comfortable in the pig's pen because you're not a pig. Your nature has been changed. You are a lamb of God. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people set aside unto good works. I dare you to get some dirt on your white dress. Dare you to watch somebody scratch your car. Oh, no, no, that's, your car ain't made for nobody. They're going to be a problem. And then you're going you're gonna to have to, I'm not saying you lay hands, but you're going to speak up. You know? We need. Try Jesus. Don't try me. Oh, here we go. Do Jesus. Don't do you. Here's the fourth thing. Disqualification from your primary call. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says, Paul said, but I discipline my body. I bring it under subjection. Lest when I have preached, proclaimed the gospel to others, I myself become disqualified. Someone has said that God is the only one that will fire us but allow us to keep working. Now watch this. There is a primary call on your life that God gave you, that he will give you the prerogative to choose, like Moses was chosen to take the people into the promised land. He never made it in because he in anger dishonored the Lord. And so he was disqualified for for fulfilling the final aspect of his vision. David was restored as king, but God said, the sword shall never leave your house. The Bible said that Samson jumped up as he did in the past, but he did not know that the Lord had the the anointing, the, the, the authority of God for his primary ministry had departed. You may be still serving, but the, I, the, the primary reason God put you on the plan, you will never fulfill that because you have disqualified yourself because of the way that you have come under the authority of the system of this God, the, of the God of this world. Let me give you one final thing, and then I'm going to tell you how. Can I tell you how after I do this one? Here's a big one. Discouragement. This is a motivation. Discouragement due to the lack of joy. I don't know how many people 
that say they're Christians who are suicidal, who are Christians who are taking all types of psychotropic medications or who are in therapy. I'm not against therapy. But why are you so discouraged? Why are you depressed? Why isn't the Lord enough for you? David said, there was a time when I wouldn't admit what, I, what a sinner I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you. And you stopped and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to him. And then he, got, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Wash me and cleanse me, O Lord. And the Lord cleansed and restored David. But when you're not living for the Lord as a Christian, you are miserable. You don't have joy. You just don't. You may have false happiness that is based on happenstance. You do not experience the joy of the Lord. But this is the one that's most powerful, important to me. I don't just want to be able to preach. I want to preach with authority. I want to be able to speak in such a way that you say, we experience the presence of God. But when you're in sin, the gift may be without repentance. The, the gift is working through you, but the gift giver is not working in you. Let me finish with this. Let me give you four how, how to do him. The first thing that we need to do to do him is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And this is going to be verses 1, 6 through 9. I'm just not going to read all the verses, but receive the word when you hear it. Here's what the scripture says in verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. When you come to church, don't just be physically here. I don't know how many times I've been sitting in church. My wife should have heard this. Man, if she was here today, man, she'd be a better wife. Now, I'm, 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 I'm thinking, now, that was 50 years ago before I even knew I had, okay. But my point is, sometimes we come to church listening, for, listening to a sermon for somebody else. Are so distracted, man, I can't wait to get those ribs. <laughs> Receive the word when you hear it. As from the Holy Spirit, it's for you. Amen. Receive it for yourself. And then respond to the word in obedience when you hear it, when you receive it. In verse 7 it says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Acadia who believe. They tell us how you turn from idols to serve the living God. Not only receive the word, but respond to it. Why do you pray? God, just show me my husband. Show me my new job. and Show me my healing. And show me that house you're going to give me. God said, why should I show you anything else when what is right in front of you, you haven't done? Be ye doers of the word. When you hear this word about worldliness and doing him, that's for you. It's for me. Reach the lost by sharing the word. In verse 8, it says, 
For from you the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Acadia, but also in every place. For your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. When's the last time you told anybody about Jesus? You told them about how much weight you lost. You told them how you stayed on your diet. I've been at the gym every day. Okay. It shrunk your body, but your head's bigger. The Bible says that love edifies, but pride puffs up. Pride comes before the fall. They, they, they received the word, responded, and when you're receiving response, you're going to reach others with the word. Well, I ain't no preacher. Are you saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit? The Bible says you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God. So you need to be telling people about Christ. Here's the last thing we've done. Refuse to do anything that doesn't honor God. Listen to this. Here's the verse. Write this one down. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, you need to ask yourself this question. Does this honor God? Here's how this thing works. The Bible says that judgment starts at the household of God. The first person that God is going to look at when he comes in judging this, the New Direction Bible Church, it talks about to the messenger of the house. Every, every one of those seven letters starts with the pastor. That's where the Lord's going to start, with the pastor. And then the Bible says, then he extends it to the level, next level. you got elders. you got deacons. But beyond the pastor and the elders and deacons, the person who's the pastor of their home, it ain't, the pa- it ain't me. Oh, no, I don't want that job. I thank you for allowing me to act in the capacity of a shepherd of a corporate church. But the man, you're the pastor of your family. You are the covering spiritually. So whatever comes through your doors, you are responsible for that. Well, I got another one for Father's Day. But you ought to know what your wife is watching and what she's listening to and what your children are listening to. You ought to know what the priorities of your children and your wife are. You ought to be committed to, I am going to disciple my family. I want, when, when everything is said and done, I want them to remember me as a man of God because that is what is going to last. Stop doing you. Start doing him. Stand, stand up with me. I became a, the president of a Christian group before I was saved. I was a good sinner on my way to a Christless eternity. I was, a, I was a, the president of a Christian group called the Ethical Culture Society at Cheney University, one of those HBU colleges. You. <laughs> and when I, be, when I, when I, I was religious. I was, I was being trained to be a walking deacon, whatever that was. That's what I was being trained to do. I did not join the church to know Jesus. I joined the church to chase skirts. The prettiest girls in the, it, they, they, they went to church. So I joined the church. 
Let me just be honest. And then the pastor started preaching, and it seemed like he was talking directly to me. I believe he was, because nobody else listened to him. (laughs) But he didn't know how to tell me how to trust Jesus. I trusted Christ in 1972 after gathering with about 35 Christians. We had Bible study, and we got to arguing. Pentecostal sisters were talking about you can't wear makeup, you can't wear lipstick, you can't, uh, you can't wear earrings, and you, have to wear, you can't wear short sleeve. And we went in. We went over about two hours going back and forth. And this, this, this Bible study was packed. But 35 of us were professing Christians. And we just watched one by one the crowd thin out of the people that didn't go to church. Many of them never came back to a Bible study again. I must not be saved. So I go to the Pentecostal church and I spoke in tongues and I got, you know, slain in the spirit, knocked in the head. I think they just knocked me out, stretched out in the floor. I mean, and I would, sometimes I wake up, uh, you know, no, seriously, I've, I've experienced, I've leaped over tall buildings in single bounds. People prophesied over me in, in the King James Version. And then I would leave the church and do the same thing that I was trying to be delivered from. I had Christian friends who would hear me listening to R&B, and they would say, bro, I don't know. Oh, you went to the movie? You know if the rapture came? Jesus can't take nobody from the movie. So I was scared, man. (laughs) My prayer was, Lord, don't come back until I get married and have a couple kids. I was really spiritual. So when my Christian friends would come, I could tell they would come. I could tell by how they walked. They just walked a certain, Christians just walk a certain way, right? So I turned my music down. I started talking my Christianese. And then I would resent them because I was only changing because they, these legalistic controlling Christians. And then when I discovered, somebody said, you, you don't know the Bible, do you? I said, I No, I don't. And she gave me some Bible verse. She said, learn these 15. She gave me four pages. I learned 250. I was doing it because I was trying to impress her. What I didn't know is what the word was going to do to me. Oh, my God. I came to a place where I wanted to be in the Bible every day. Well, I just couldn't wait to pray, and I just wanted to learn and grow, and the more I grew, the less I wanted to do that. Nobody had to tell me to stop this or stop that. My time in the presence of the Lord made me walk away from worldly things. And again, it's not what you do, it's why. Have you informed your choices through the word of God? Are you consulting him or are you just doing you? God wants to give you a whole nother level of supernatural power to release through you. It's not going to happen if you're doing you. It's not going to make your marriage better if you're doing you. I want you to agree with the Holy Spirit today. I'm going to surrender and believe you.
for everything that you promise because I'm going to start doing you. Somebody say, I'm going to start doing you and stop doing me. Amen. Amen. Best thing.